you like bands like Voodoo Gross Call, The Willem Scream, You Implant, Darko, Police, The Guard, Tsunami Bound, Big Tin, The Kids Table, Adrenalize, Friends for Rum, Dead by Stereo, Belvedere, Bracket, Dead Fucking Last, Much the Same, and many more? Are you obsessed with band merch like I am? <laughs> if yes, press pause on this episode and go on EpicMerchStore.com. They offer t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, hats, and kids merch for more than 230 punk rock, got metal, and hardcore bands from all around the world. And they now have mugs. Yeah, wow, the coffee's gonna be great. Go get your merch at EpicMerchStore.com. Show episode 31. My name is Emilie Plamondon. I'm your host. I live in Quebec City, Canada, and I love punk rock so much that I decided to start this podcast because I wanted to spread it all around the world. I love to interview amazing guests. I love to make you some great recommendations for bands from all around the world. And I love to talk to you about different topics related to punk rock, ska, and hardcore music. On today's episode, you're gonna hear the amazing conversation I had with Scott Shiplett from Face to Face. We talked about how he got into playing music, into punk rock, the new Face to Face album, of course, and I asked him your questions. The show is starting now, be ready. <laughs> Bonjour les punk, hello punk rockers, I hope you are doing amazing today. I'm super happy to be with you. It has been a great week since the last episode. I've been interviewing great people. I've been listening to tons of vinyl. I've been seeing some friends. And life is good. Life is good. I saw some shows, some live shows. It was incredible. So yeah, I'm in a good mood for recording this episode. But today... It's going to be a special episode because I had a very, very long conversation with Scott Shiflet. We talked for more than an hour and 15 minutes. And I was hesitating because sometimes I love to do like part one and part two of the interview is the the week after. But I was like, hmm, I think for this one, I will only make one long episode. So today... You won't have any repunkmendation. You're going to hear a new face-to-face song in the middle of the interview. But today I wanted to make this episode only about Scott Shiflett. Honestly, he's a great guy, a great punk rocker. He was talking a lot and I loved it. He has amazing stories to tell you. And I learned a lot while he was talking to me. I didn't know much about his personal background, so I was really happy to hear his story. So let's start this interview now. And don't hesitate if you want to talk to me about it on social medias. Just DM me about the interview. Tell me if you liked it. I love to interact with you guys. Let's go, Scott. Interview. I hope my English is going to be good. <laughs> Oh, your English is great. Uh, my French is abysmal. Uh, uh, I don't ha- know anything in French. Yeah. Tout ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Oh, wow. You're actually really good. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So today I want to talk about your history with punk because I don't know much about it. I think you have an amazing background. Neither do I. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk about the new album. I have a lot of questions from the listener. I think maybe 45 minutes can be okay. Is, is it okay for you? 
uh, hopefully these earbuds will hold up. So okay. yeah. But let um, me know if there's anything. You so, know, usually, yeah. usually uh, Trevor does all these interviews because he uh, remembers dates and <laughs> names and places a lot better than me. Oh. So I, I apologize in advance if uh, there's stuff I can't really answer well. Oh, no problems. I don't, okay. I don't, I'm not really good with dates either. So I just okay. want to talk about your, your history. It's, it's super amazing because I think you, you have like two brothers. We know Chris, but we, yeah, yeah. you have an, another brother who is also a musician. Yeah, so yeah. I, I wonder how was it at home yeah, when yeah. you were young? Well, um, I have a, my, my younger brother, Chris, who most people know mm -hmm. is, uh, just about five years younger than me. Oh. And my older brother, Mike is about a year, uh, two, two and a half years older than me. Oh, okay. Oh, um, I'm being told I don't need to shout. Sorry. Oh, uh, no, that's uh, Can fine. you hear me if I'm just talking all normal? Yeah, like yeah, this? yeah. Sure. But it was good too. Okay. Whatever okay. you want. <laughs> I'm trying to project. Yeah. I love your energy. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I have an older brother named Mike and uh, who really is, you know, I, I had parents that liked music mm -hmm. and they each had their taste. You know, my dad had jazz and blues and my mom was into the sort of the soft California rock sound. Okay. Um, but neither of them were musicians. Neither mm -hmm. of them uh, played, played instruments. So it wasn't like that was happening in our house, but my, my older brother, Mike was sort of the, he spearheaded this whole music thing for us brothers. Mm -hmm. He, uh, you know, he could work a turntable before he was, uh, a year old and wow. just the, the, the enthusiasm was really strong with him. And after a first, uh, failed, I say failed attempt at, at drums, he, he started on drums and, oh. uh, But that didn't really stick with him. And then he switched over to guitar. And that was really uh, the thing that, that, that got him. And, you know, we'd long been little enthusiasts. You know, we loved music even mm -hmm. as kids. Uh, you know, uh, there was never like a starting point. It's kind of as far back as I can remember. We've been digging into, you know, rock records, whatever we could hear on the radio, yeah. making our parents bias records and stuff like that. But Mike really did um, pursue uh, playing guitar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it started out like a lot of kids, you get a beat up uh, used acoustic guitar. And then he got his hands on a, uh, God, I don't even remember the brand. It was a total no brand kind of electric guitar. My dad bought it off at Sears. I don't know oh, if you have Sears yeah, out there. Yeah, we had this back in the day. It, for, for $5. And then he sunk another $35 into new tuning pegs and stuff like that. We, we found we could actually plug it into my dad's stereo system to oh, amplify it. Wow. And it, it wasn't distorted. It didn't sound like Jimi Hendrix or anything, <laughs> but it was loud. Yeah. So, you know, when we were kids, this is back in Maryland, we would uh, jump around playing that thing. Uh, I know I've, I've posted one or two pictures of me playing that very electric guitar. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, And you get your hands on on on, a, on an electric guitar, and it looks like all those records you have. It looks, it's got that shape, that yeah. cutaway, and you know, it, it just really gives you that feel, you know. So naturally, because Mike, who by the way is still a musician, yeah, he teaches I wanted to and, know. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. 
Chris and I both had that somewhat narcissistic join a band, get up on stage, <laughs> play gigs thing. But Mike really didn't. He was kind of shy and oh. just more inward, uh, but but brilliant in his knowledge and stuff. But uh, so he actually went full circle and teaches at the music school that oh. we took lessons at when we were little dudes back in the wow. late seventies. So he still teaches at that very shop that that I was I first started going to in oh, nineteen seventy. Oh, that's amazing! You know, yeah. So so there's like how that that really unfolded and and really when I was younger. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a drummer mm-hmm. or the or a lead guitarist, you know. Oh. And 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 you know, but the idea was also who can we cobble together to put a little family band together and and one day, you know, I had pestered my mom for so long like I want I want to take lessons, I want to take mm-hmm. lessons. And finally she goes, "All right, we're going to do lessons. What's it going to be?" And in a moment of panic, I chose bass. In a moment and, of panic? <laughs> right. I felt, like, you know, I was sort of on the spot, but, you know, my reasoning that afternoon, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, I love bass and I feel I have an affinity for mm-hmm. bass, but my, my reasoning originally was uh, that if I play bass, Mike already plays guitar uh, and we're that much closer to putting a group together, you know? Oh, and, I understand. Uh, you know, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, Mike had guitars and so I had already, you know, he'd showed me a few things. And so, you know, technically I've been playing guitar even longer, but not like kind of seriously. So once I got a bass, you know, we mm. passed, we converted a local friend named Scott on into being our drummer. And we would uh, just get together in the garage and he only had a snare drum. Oh, and uh and Mike and I would both plug uh, the bass and guitar into the same amp. And it sounded horrible, had no power, <laughs> but it was kind of the beginning of it all. And sure. you know, Chris was still pretty young at this point. So it, it was honestly maybe five more years till he got just old enough mm-hmm. to really, you know, give it a go. And of course, he's obviously a natural. There's something going on with us three brothers. You know, we, we clearly were wow. driven. I it's guess, amazing because so. a lot of listeners wanted to know why you you chose bass because we all right, know that right. you you can play guitar obviously so yeah, I, yeah. I got a yeah, lot yeah. of questions about it so we started because you wanted to to start a band with your brother and he was that you were was like, it he plays well, guitar you know, I'm gonna play bass that's fine yeah well I would watch him through a crack in the you know I'd crack the door open you know when Aww. we were young more often than not Chris and I shared a bedroom okay and. Mike had his own room being the oldest brother, like, you know, we, we weren't wealthy, you know, we had to share. And so Mike had a converted garage that was the bedroom (laughs) and I would peek through a little crack in the door and watch him playing. He he had a Stratocaster back then, a gold Strat. And, um, I would just watch him ripping along with like a live deep purple record. And at that age, you know, I'm watching what he's doing and it just looked so daunting. It looked Mm -hmm. like It looked pretty, like, kind of almost intimidating. So I figured if I chose bass, it might be a little easier. Little did I know that I would tackle the bass like a madman and, you know, play it pretty aggressively. And I'd make it way harder on myself than I kind of needed to. But, yeah, yeah, that's where that comes from. Oh, that's great. What was the name of your first, first band with your brother and the (laughs) other Scott? We called that band Salem's Lot. and. You know, it's a it's a Sorry. Stephen King, I guess, either a book or a short story. And but we didn't know that. We didn't know who Stephen Ooh. King was. We named it that from the 
I guess it was like a made for TV movie called Salem's Lot. And, you know, it's a little, it's probably a bit cheesy by today's standards, yeah. but you know, when that little kid floats up to his brother's bedroom sure. window and he's tapping on the <laughs> glass and floating around, like as a little kid, I was like, Holy, you know, that's yeah. terrifying. I just thought, you know, because wow. we were, we had discovered Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and all this kind of heavy rock that we were pretty into. Mm-hmm. And um, Salem's Lot just sounded like, you know, Black Sabbath, Salem's <laughs> yeah. Lot. We, we were like, I still think it's a cool name. Someone should use it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. how did you get into punk rock specifically? Because I think it came well, pretty quick. Well, you played this, a lot of punk bands. This is a little interesting because my history with punk rock is a bit spotty to be honest and, mm-hmm. I'll, and I'll just lay out the, the real truthful bare bones you know okay I'm uh, obviously it's no secret I'm an old timer I'm I'm 55 years old I just had a birthday uh, a few days ago actually oh, and birthday. Fun fight. So I'm of that age where the mid to late 70s is where I was turning 12 and 13 yeah and, and you know you're you're getting old enough to start to get you know find stuff on your own and and the, the honest God truth about where, you know, aside from the fact that you could trace punk rock through, you know, mm-hmm. the, the stooges and MC five and stuff who of course were riffing off the stones and mm-hmm. it's like a medicine ball that keeps going back and forth. But, you know, when it finally distilled into a look and a sound and an image in the mid seventies uh, mm-hmm. in England and became what, you know, essentially ground zero for what we consider punk rock, which yeah, of course then like morphed into hardcore yeah. and then, in, you know, later on the pop punk thing and stuff. But my brother, Mike and I were in the basement one night watching, you know, the news with my dad mm-hmm. and a little, and a story comes on because this was when punk rock was dangerous to merit <laughs> yeah. um, being mentioned in, in, you know, uh, on the news and and they you know the guy was talking about this phenomena where where you know young people are cutting themselves and oh, yeah. safety pins through the nose and all that and they put a little inset picture like a news story would uh that was a shot of Johnny Rotten oh. and they had they had airbrushed flames around him so it's like he's holding <laughs> this mic and they've got these flames and I still remember in that the moment devil. my my brother Mike and I were sitting there and we both look at each other And we look at the TV and we're like, what? You know, so this is still 77. So we're still living in Maryland. And um, so Mike went out and got the Nevermind the Bullocks record. Mm. Uh, Here, 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 you know, here's the Sex Pistols. And, you know, we were, the thing is, you know, you have to remember, we were so young and not part of any, you know, class struggle or or any kind of of the, you know, Maggie Thatcher issues mm-hmm. or whatever that was going on. And I, I think I had my timing wrong. I don't think that was necessarily it, but no, I guess they were having a recession over there and it was fostering a lot of, uh, you know, discord and, and, and dissent. And of course, you know, times were changing. The sixties yeah. rockers were getting a little bloated for the seventies kids taste. Mm-hmm. These were like the younger brothers and nieces and nephews to that older generation. Yeah. And they, probably wanted something of their own. And this was the perfect time for it. So we were totally removed from that little suburban kids living in Maryland somewhere, but we picked up on it. You know, when we got that record, we didn't honestly, you know, we weren't choosing sides on a culture war. We had never even heard uh, black Sabbath or, or, or Led Zeppelin. So we weren't rejecting the old it to us. It just sounded like another band that, Mm -hmm. that was cool. 
you know, we missed the double entendres in the song submission. We thought it was about taking a submarine ride, you know, <laughs> with those little pings in it and all that. So, you know, uh, that quickly exposed us to stuff like the jam and the clash and all this. But, yeah, you know, it was we loved what we heard, but we didn't hang our hats on it as this is where I'm going mm-hmm. forever. And that's the end of it. We still had a long journey and eventual crash with hard rock. So, you know, when we moved uh, shortly in late 77, we moved out to California mm. and, you know, cause we were living in Maryland at the time we moved out to Santa Barbara and my older brother, once again, you know, your older brother sets the tone a lot when yeah. you're young. He is, you know, uh, for me, at least his tastes, his interests were just showering over me with like, he'd bring home records. He played guitar. I I looked up to him. I still do, you know, and, you know, I kind of look up to both my brothers in spite Mm -hmm. of being, you know, the middle kid, but um, I'm, you know, I I just think the world of the both of them, but uh, Mike, you know, wound up uh, checking out, you know, a black Sabbath record from the Mm -hmm. local library deep purple record from the local library, mind you, you know? So once we heard like Sabbath's paranoid, it was like, I, w- I didn't have seven years of getting bored of it. To me, it was as yeah. fresh as yeah, anything sure. I'd heard. So, you know, the world at this point is starting to move into sort of post-punk and mm-hmm. new wave and goth and all this stuff. And, uh, but I was burying my head in Sabbath records and discovering, you know, whatever, all sorts of hard rock, classic hard rock, the early Van Halen and stuff like that. But um, so it honestly, it was like, like five years after this time, it's the early 80s. Early 80s and yeah. By the, by the early 80s, um, you know, the phenomena is really starting to take hold. You know, my dad, okay, let me just say the first record I ever bought with my own money in 1977 was Kiss's Love Gun. But the second record <laughs> I ever bought with my own money was Natty Dread, the, the third Bob Marley and the Whalers oh, yeah. album. Really the first one without the original Whalers. But, you know, so we were we were listening to like Bob Marley and, uh, you know, a few other reggae artists in like Mm -hmm. 77. But it seemed by like 82, 83, Mm -hmm. punk rock reggae was becoming like really popular with younger people. But, you know, it it wasn't really so much a case of been there, done that. But Mm -hmm. like. All the dudes that I knew, everyone was like cutting their hair. They were back then it was going punk, you know, but. Honestly, I, I I won't say I moved on, but I was headed kind of in a different direction. I was still kind of I I'll, I'll honestly say living out 1971 in 1981. You know, I had the long, straight Black Sabbath kind of hair and and uh, and all that stuff. Whereas all my buddies were cutting their hair, they were doing the Mohawks, they oh, were yeah. forming punk bands and stuff. And and so oddly enough, it was like most of this was a matter of all the people that I knew and the people around me mm-hmm. were really uh, delving deep into it. Even in Santa Barbara, a little middle-class town of surf and sun and beach, there was just a kind of a thriving mm-hmm. uh, punk and alternative rock community up there. And I was sort of a holdout, you know, I was a rock holdout, though. I loved the jam. I loved the clash. Uh, to me, the, the damned is one of the all time greatest bands, especially those, uh, well, the first third and fourth records yeah. for me. Um, and, and just the jam. I, I think Bruce Foxton is the finest punk rock bass player 
that ever lived. And I, he probably, you know, even to call him a punk rock bass, well, he's just a bass player. Just mm -hmm. what he was doing was so was, you know, they were considered punk. But so what ultimately happens is, you know, I'm friends with all these local guys like, you know, Joey Cape and yeah. I we go back. 40 years you know we go back to the early early 80s early and stuff. oh and, oh really you know, early early oh, yeah. 80, oh good jo joey joey and i um go back 40 years at least at this point wow. and you know i remembered him before i even knew him he was you know he had this total like ramones haircut like the little bowl <laughs> cut you know and he'd be charging through the halls of of, of, uh, of our junior high school with a pair of drumsticks hanging out of his back pocket and, and wow. a homemade Secret Service T-shirt because you know he played drums in a punk band called Secret Service, and um, but you know you don't even the kids you don't know directly you, you know when you're young you eyeball them and you kind of go all right mm -hmm. who's this you know this this kid's pretty interesting and Caper was like one of them so as he I was bet. you know blossoming as a as a songwriter and and performer eventually you know we started doing stuff together. And, oh, uh, cool. you know, it was know sort that. of like I was the resident rock guy. I had a little bit of chops. So it was, oh, if we need a guy to sit in for a gig, get Scott, mm -hmm. you know. And and so I did a bit of that. And and uh, and oddly enough, Joey sort of aside from, you know, I'll honestly say by 83, my interest in hard rock had all but disappeared. And I was a little bit oh. adrift. I didn't like where things were going. And oh. and um, Joey he sort of restoked my, he was sort of a bit into like thrash metal and stuff. So he was turning me on to like, you know, motor or uh, not motorhead, but um, Metallica and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. You know, Joe, Joey and I went and saw Metallica in 83 open for armored saint at the country club <laughs> in front of like 300 people. Damn. So I'm hanging with Joey a lot at that point. And, but you know, he had his thing and I would be doing my thing, you know, and, uh, you know, periodically I'd get asked to, you know, I was asked to join RKL and it was crazy because I'm listening to the demo or the, mm -hmm. the record. This is around 86. And it was baffling to me. You know, I knew Bomber and, and, uh, and he was honestly one of the four forerunners of so much of what kind of became distilled into the punk rock community. And, and him and like Chris Rest, you know, we we gave a, a a brief little go at something, and it didn't last because we were just a you know I was an irresponsible mm -hmm. kid. I, I don't think I held up my end of the bargain back then. I was pretty pretty uh, ungrounded, I, I guess. You know, those those guys really knew how to get stuff done. But you know, when I heard uh, wh whatever the hell that record was from '86, they sent me a demo seeing if I would be interested, and oh. it was so progressive and wild. And at that point, I think my stuff was kind of <laughs> almost too just boring and, and down the middle lane. So so I passed on that. And, you know, I look back now, this is one of the little regrets, just oh. not that I think that it would have made a huge difference in my life other than mm -hmm. just more fun that I could have had I during those years where I was, I felt a little bit adrift. But, you know, Joey by the late 80s was turning me on to the descendants and stuff like that. Yeah, because it was starting. Got, yeah. Descendants, yeah. Bad Religion, Black Flag. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. That All that stuff, uh, I'll, I'll freely chuck the uh, credit to Caper because, you know, he always had his finger on the pulse of stuff, whereas I think I was sort of living in the past a lot. <laughs> so, you know, through Caper and, and just that scene in Santa Barbara, I was kind of getting drawn back in, as it yeah. were. 
And, uh, and it was just one of those things, you know, eventually by the, I guess, mid nineties, 95, I get the, I get a call. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I I first heard of. Yeah. Because you saw, you saw this wave coming the night, the nineties, California, you were (laughs) into it. Like you participated. I took the slow ride. Yeah. It wasn't like an overnight thing. You know, I, I, I took the slow ride. It sort of built up in me until the, the, the right time. And, and I guess for me, that was when I got the call for face to face, which was interesting because my, my little brother and I, um, for a few years there in the early nineties, we lived together in a one room apartment Mm -hmm. in Hollywood, you know, a couple young, hungry guys trying to get something together. Honestly, at that point, he and I were trying to do a, a band more like the jam, you know, he'd play a Rickenbacker. I'd play him a Rickenbacker bass. We yeah. wear ties, and, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. We were constantly playing old, you know, songs from the jam's first record, but we couldn't, I don't think either of us was, were confident enough at that time to try and be a lead singer. So we just mm-hmm. couldn't really find the people and it wasn't really what was happening at the time. So ultimately we just kind of got caught up in other stuff, but you know, when I finally got, you know, Chris brought home, the first uh, face-to-face record. And I still remember, oh, really? I was doing dishes. Wow. Yeah, it, I'm doing dishes in the kitchen and it was literally just one other room away. And Chris puts on the first record and I, and it really, you know, that caught my attention. And, and I'm asking him, who's this? And it's like, oh, it's face-to-face. And I'm like, wow. this is fucking awesome. At this time it was Matt so, Riddle at the bass. Yeah, mm-hmm. Matt Riddle on bass. And so Chris and I actually went and saw face maybe three or four times in the early days, club gigs, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, so it was like, you know, when they called me, it's sort of an interesting story that I didn't even call them back. You know, my, <laughs> my, I'm working a job. I'm working in the mailroom. I'm, I'm a shipping receiving clerk and I get a call from these guys and <laughs> I don't even call them back because I thought, well, Matt is such a ripping bass player. And uh... if, they lost that guy. There's got to be problems. And I just don't want problems. And it's, it's ironic because I'm hearing disconnected on the radio, like five times a day, every day, you'd think I would jump the chance, but I was like, you know, I think Chris and my band uh, at that time had fallen apart and, you know, in a sea of fist fights and, you Mm -hmm. know, drug problems and stuff like that. Not me, not Chris. (laughs) No, the other one. <laughs> unnamed guys, unnamed guys. Yeah, But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so honestly, at that time, I was just like, you know, I just don't need headaches. I don't need problems. Yeah. And if this band has fallen apart, there's a problem and I just don't want to get involved. And oddly enough, it was my bro. It was Chris that said, you know what? I, I spent a little time with them and mm-hmm. they're really, really cool dudes you should just go jam with them and check it out. I think you'll like it. And, and what and, was, and, what was, uh, sorry, his project at the time, Chris project at, at this time, me first and give me, give me, uh, no, where... no, no, no. I'll tell you what his project was. His project he was, he had gone out on tour roadieing for the band wax. And I don't know if you know, who Joe Sib is, Hello. uh, from 22 jacks and and uh, he does he's he does a lot of comedy shows these days but he originally was the singer well originally he goes way back you know he's a punk rock kind of legend but he had a band called wax and they had this song uh california or why did i move to southern california that was kind of having a little bit of play and so they were out on tour and chris went out just as a friend um roadieing for them so 
he uh, and they were playing with face to face. So he wasn't actually playing at that time. Uh, okay. He was roadieing and got oh, to spend time okay, okay. with these dudes, meet them, and and basically said they're they're like us. They're regular dudes. They're 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 no they're not weirdos. They're not egotists. Crazy ass. Oh, sorry. That's fine. Um, no problem. And uh, cool, cool. <laughs> He's like, I I think you should check it out. I think oh, you really that's like interesting. It. And, yeah. So I did. I, I mean, I actually got lost in the Angeles National Forest dr- trying to drive out there for my first audition because I, you know, I got the directions all wrong. They lived up in the high desert up in Victorville. <laughs> so I drove all the way out there. I'm in the middle of, the, of a forest at one point. I'm like, you know, I think I should have turned left at Albuquerque. So um, but you I told, finally made it there. You told yourself, don't turn away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, I, uh, that was back in the early enough days that the band still rehearsed at Chad Yarrow's Grandma Rose's house in the garage, the, the same one they made the video for mm-hmm. um, Disconnected. Uh, that wasn't a setup, man. That's what, what those guys did. They rehearsed out there in, in uh, Rose's garage. So I showed up there, and uh, the first thing we do was run through the song Struggle, because a Big Choice had already come out, but I had never heard it, because kind of by that point, I had sort of been off doing my own thing or whatever mm-hmm. and um so we we played struggle and it was like one of those things you know the minute we were done we all looked around the room and just kind of knew that was good that felt right so um they well it's it's they said well uh we've got a show in about a month mm-hmm. do you think you could play it and i felt great i was like well that gives me plenty of time to learn your stuff no big deal. So I actually drove home. We, I think we played actually, you know, they had me learn three songs, but I learned five just to hedge oh, my yeah. bets. And, I love this. You know, show That's up the prepared. attitude. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I go home and, and, you know, they apparently had a different, they had a gig coming up in like four days, but they had another guy okay. who agreed to do it. And um, so I walked through my door after the, you know, it's like a three hour drive back mm. from there at that hour or whatever um no actually at that hour it's more like two or whatever but uh i get in and just as i walk through my door that uh trevor's leaving a message on my answering machine i guess they had talked it over and thought i might stand a better chance learning all the tunes better and uh he said how do you feel about playing your first show in four days and i'm like god damn it I had like that several because I'm working full time at this point, you know. And but you knew so, five songs already, so <laughs> right, right. So I told him, I told him, look, uh, I'll never learn them by name, so make a set list. And so I, I threaded all the songs together mm-hmm. on one CD. CD, folks, that's a, a yeah. thing that used to be, and um, and and so I just drove all day listening to that thing and because kind of, I you know I know my way around the neck well enough for rock and roll and uh I figured I really just need to know these songs in mm-hmm. here and in here more than here mm-hmm. and and I, I drove around just listening to that set on a loop so I made a cheat sheet like you know this song starts in a or that song starts in b or whatever and that was it you know I I Mm-hmm. Essentially, I learned the set like one long song because I knew we'd end one wow. and I have to be ready for the next one. But if he called out a title, I might not know that, <laughs> you know. So, 
that's kind of how that works. I, I like your music brain. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you arrive in the band uh, before Face to Face, Face to Face, the, the self, self-title album. Yeah, Did you write it with them or no? I think it was almost no, ready. You, you know, I don't honestly know how much Trevor already had written, but, you know, I It's came been a while. in pretty much at the end Okay. of the Big Choice cycle. So they had already mm. done all their touring. Big Choice as a touring, you know, as a release and a touring cycle was done. So whatever was going to happen was going to be the next thing. So, uh, you know, I joined and maybe managed to play like three or four shows before we went just kind of into rehearsal. Yeah. Now, you've got to understand, like, I have a varied history with rock and roll, with punk rock. Most of my punk rock is 70s punk rock, which honestly is more akin to rock and roll. It's a lot yeah. closer to old school rock and, and classic hard rock mm -hmm. bands than people, you know, think. It, um, you know, uh, in terms of form and, and function, how the parts are, come together. And I had zero experience writing, you know, face to face yeah. type music. And it really wasn't an issue because, you know, the band then, as it does now, really hinges on Trevor, what he will, what he wants to work, what interests him and stuff. So, you know, every, you know, every mm -hmm. record we've ever made after the self-titled, I've thrown 60, 50 or 60 ideas at him and just whichever ones stick, we'll work on those. You know? Oh, okay. And so after that, because, you... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the bottom line is I've got a billion ideas, but Trevor has to be into them for us to want to do it further. So the band has always been and will always linchpin on him because, you know, he's going to write the lyrics. He's going to write his own yeah. vocal melodies. And and so he needs to feel connected and inspired by whatever it is. And it has to work. You know, a lot something of bands, can... I think a lot of bands work that way or close to it. huh? Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Trevor and I actually have an incredibly varied uh, approach to, to songwriting, um, but some things are, are, are consistent and eternal. Like, yeah, he writes his own lyrics. You know, I, I don't show up like, hey, man, check out all this stuff I wrote. You know, it's, it's yeah, got to yeah. mean something to him and, and, and which I also think is important. And mm -hmm. so so, you know, back then. I'm the new guy. And so I'm finding my footing uh, in, in terms of the balance of, of the friendships and the hierarchy mm -hmm. of how things function. And, you know, um, it's a classic example of just glad to be here. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, and yeah. You're a little so low profile at first. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, you know, he'll bring an idea and basically, you know, as far as I was concerned, all right, that's, you've got a song and this is great. And, you know, oddly enough, I think I was being so not quite timid, but deferring, mm -hmm. you know, because him and him and Matt grew up together. So I think Matt felt a lot more comfortable just stomping all over these songs with his killer licks. By the way, Matt Riddle is one of the all time kings of the bass guitar. He's great, too. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, they, they had that uh, relationship already established. But, you know, I don't know what I can get away with. So far, you know, at the, during self-titled, so he'd present me something, and I would kind of just yeah. stick to a basic form of it. You know, oddly enough, uh, when Trevor brought in uh, "Walk the Walk," we were first running through it, and he stops me and goes, "Hey, 
do you think you could do something in this part right here that's like, you know, something Matt might do, something cool, a little signature part. And so I just made that lick up literally on the spot because I wanted to, you know, give it a little, we call it googly, you know, over all these years. It's my googly bass yeah, googly. lines. I put all those little googly bass lines in. But, you know, I just sort of like whipped that up on the spot. And, and uh, that record's got a couple. Uh, Handout's got a good little part. And so, you know, there's some good little moments on it. Uh, for years, I, I thought I was a bit tame on that record, and, you mm -hmm. know, because I'm, you know, I was new and I was, you know, yeah, trying to I understand that. Mm -hmm. Trying to not get called out like, hey, dude, don't do shit like that. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. yeah. So and then you got you know, more confidence and you, feel, right, you right, felt right. like you had more space for the next right, album right, right. and more creative right. well, uh, initiative, you know, mm -hmm. There even on self-titled, there were two or three instances where I got to um, help. I, I wouldn't say any of the songs were mine, you know, as every album since then is full of my musical ideas. Yeah. Uh, even my contributions to the self-titled were essentially reinforcement work for some Trevor for Trevor's songs. And um, but I did still manage to do that because I'm 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 an unstoppably creative guy whether it's any good or not is up for debate but you know I'm, i've always got ideas so i'm never at a loss for some kind of idea right. so trevor was like what should we try here and you know uh i'd throw my idea and surprise surprise he, he ran with with some of them so it was a an auspicious start you know
um, I want to yeah. I, I want to talk about your bass playing because I got a lot of questions. So how did you start to really get your own sound? Because it's super unique in punk rock. Is it like? Well, to be honest, my what what people know of as my sound in yeah. the punk rock setting is first and foremost uh, inspired by Matt Riddle. Okay. Now, granted, obviously, I am my own man. I am my own bassist. I am my own thinker in terms of how I approach stuff. But my style, historically, you know, I, I think my biggest influences coming up were Paul McCartney and Geezer Ooh. Butler, which, you know, people don't necessarily think that they're hearing that stuff in face-to-face -face records, but you are. In every record, at, you know, since I've oh. joined... Some of that is in there and it might not be obvious, but, but because it's so such a part of me, it is. But the reality was that face-to-face -face was an established band. They had a template, they yeah. had a sound and they had a style. You wanted to was, respect that. Yeah. You wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's largely based off of what I consider Trevor's vocals, his lyrics, his melodies, obviously the song structures, but for me, the bass parts, to me, the bass was, Um, and is a, a critical and important part of what is face-to-face. -face. Yeah, and totally. For me, part of what attracted me uh, was because Matt Riddle, you know, so in a weird way. Um, no, I understand. You know, and, yeah. And, and the reality is, you know, I'm a bit amorphous. I can fit in different situations. And, and I'm not saying that I've been living a lie because I've no, not no, no, been no. living a lie. Mm -hmm. There's so many different parts of me and they're all just as true and just as real. But the one I leaned into the most, at least traditionally with face to face was inspired by Matt Riddle. So, uh, Matt Riddle's style greatly, uh, which wasn't honestly how I approached bass a lot. I, I usually think of it a little bit more of a foundation instrument, mm -hmm. um, you know, in my own writing, I think, you know, even though I have a strong improvisational background, mm -hmm. uh, which I know isn't something a lot of people in punk rock are particularly enamored with, but I came up with, with that sort of music, very improv, very free form. And um, I hesitate to say busy, but mobile. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Matt had these signature parts. He had these signature ideas And he ripped through them. And so, you know, I felt that it was important to keep, um, you know, that face-to-face -face has, you know, for whatever happened with those guys. And we're all great friends mm -hmm. now, you know. Matt's one of my dear friends. And I know Trevor and Matt and everyone nice. gets along just fine. There's no bad blood or anything. But, you know, obviously they had a bit of a falling out at the time. But, um, you know, a band has a flat, you need to fix the flat and move on. And part of my role in the band was to help facilitate that, which mm -hmm. meant as best as I could, filling that space that Matt had had created. Yeah. And, but being myself with it, you know, Matt, I, oddly, oddly enough, I'm a finger style player. I came up traditional finger style and face to face is the first band I ever uh, played tradition, you know, straight through uh -huh. with a pick except for the acoustic set, I, I do the fingerstyle stuff. I want to talk but, about that Which too. is interesting yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. because Matt Matt's a fingerstyle player and I replaced him using a pick. But the, the main reason for that, and some people might've thought it was a chump out move, but I do play fingerstyle. Mm -hmm. 
for me, it was like, I'm more comfortable doing that style of music with a pick. I like to rattle those yeah. strings. And when I play finger style, it's a bit more progressive fusion jazz style. I tonk the strings more than slap them. Oh. So to me, to me, it was a little bit more like probably how Carl Alvarez would do it. But I didn't really want that to be the sound I was creating in the band. So oh. that's kind of how that worked Because out. Because a lot of people ask me to ask you, how can you play so fast? What's your secret? What effects do you put on your bass? So it's like a mix oh, of... Well, you know what? I'm a pretty straight ahead dude. I grab just about any bass, any amp, and I'll give it a go. I, I don't use a whole lot in the, in the way of effects or... Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'm honestly, I'm kind of gear illiterate to this day. Oh. I've I barely know anything about gear. Just ultimately, if you put me with a Fender P bass and an Ampeg SVT, um, mm -hmm. I'll just run with it from there. It's all just human driven, muscle driven, you know, uh, being able to play through a rough night, uh, uh, a strong night, you know, the wind at your oh. back, the wind at your front. Um, but it's just years of being a hyperactive musician, yeah. you know, I've. <laughs> I, I play bass, I play guitar, I even dabble with drums and a little bit of keyboards. I write songs. You know, I do the sad singer acoustic guy thing. It's just nobody's heard this stuff because I haven't really put it out. Mm -hmm. um, but but I have a whole lot of different sides to what I do. And, you know, in face to face, you know, it's sort of like, you know, mm -hmm. when a dog gets a chew toy and you're shaking it and they're going crazy and they're ripping it <laughs> to bits. That's me with face to face, you know. For all of those of you who wonder why we play so damn fast live, uh -huh. it's my fault. I'm the guy <laughs> that's always pushing the tempo. The guys are always trying to keep it down and I'm I'm getting amped up and I'm I'm going way too hard and way too fast. I'm a dog with a chew toy in this band. Awesome. And and I'm having a great time, but I know sometimes I get a little out of control. You know, at, at the very least on the records, I even the busier stuff, I try to keep it in the pocket, mm -hmm. keep it tasteful. I want to leave a legacy of respect, respectful music, music that honored the intent of the song more than just shredding. Oh, But yeah. live, I can get away with a little yeah. bit more. Live I, is more in the moment. I know? saw you guys playing at the Red Bridge Fest for like two nights in a row. Uh, two years okay, ago, okay. I saw the acoustic set you made too. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, great yeah. and it's super fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, love yeah. your bass on the because I had the chance to listen to the new album. I was lucky enough. Oh yeah, yeah. I really, okay, cool. I really, really liked it. Uh, I cool, cool. Where, what is the song? Spit something on the. What's the, I have a. This. It's not spit shine. No. It's spit shine. Yeah. yeah, that's this one. The bass is great. I love it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Spit shine. Um. Well, you know what's interesting is for me that was one of my earlier ideas. Oh. Uh, I actually I had that idea a couple years ago, but didn't really pursue it. Uh, I, I I wanted to do something with a quick little walking line in it. So I love it. it. It's a little unlike you know. A, a traditional face-to-face baseline, but Except, it really yeah. fits, I was fits like, oh. that moment in the oh. song. And you <laughs> want to hear something crazy. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's maybe two songs on the record that literally, you know, we write, uh, Trevor and I write the songs together. We rehearse in them with the band. And, oh yeah, exactly. Trevor rented a little spot out here. <laughs> we rehearse it. We rehearse with the band. 
And then you're pretty much, you're, you're in for the kill. You're ready to go in the studio, roll tape and go, yeah. or just press record. I don't know if we use tape this time, but, uh, and in two of the songs, the day we we're about to record them, Trevor says, Hey, I want to change the keys in these. Hmm. I, I, I found a better key to suit my voice. Now that's a lot easier said than done for his parts because they tend to be more kind of block guitar stuff, but uh, the bass lines, you know, are pretty elaborate affairs that, mm-hmm. that I've been practicing for a while that involves some open strings and sliding parts and, and, you know, you can't just transpose in an instant. So two or maybe two or three, but definitely a couple of them, including spit shine. I made that, I had to restructure that baseline on the spot right then and there. So oh. at least I was all tanked up on coffee and in, in the in kill mode. <laughs> you, I guess and, you, and, you took a lot of coffee for this one. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I think originally it was like a climbing thing. Like it started okay. low and, yeah. and kept going up, but I had to like now because of the transposing, I had to start higher and then, you know, oh. move it back down and stuff. So it was a quick, quick think for, a, for such a busy line. But mm. at least that tells you that, Our records are living and breathing up to the moment that tape is rolling. Wow. You know, it's a, uh, you know, uh, one of the songs. It's uh, alive. What, yeah. Like <laughs> alive. literally I, I wrote the music for um, You Were Wrong About Me mm-hmm. right before recording it. The guys had never uh, played it or anything, but there was one song that we had been hammering out that it just, we could never quite get a grip on, on what it was supposed to do. And so I just said, well, scrap that, but I still want this record. I still want to make 12 songs, you know? So I had this idea and I really just put it all together in that moment, showed it to, uh, showed it to Danny, obviously Trevor, you know, had to approve it. Mm -hmm. And Danny had never played it. We ran through it maybe two or three times. Boom. Oh. It's recorded and that's what's on the record. So, you know, this is living, breathing music. Exactly. This isn't overthought. It's not overwrought. It, you know, people might say, you know, maybe you should have spent more time in it, but I think we did a great job. Yeah, a very, very nice job. And I read that Trevor said that you wanted to try new things on the album. So I, I kind of noticed some stuff. So maybe it's in the process of making it that was different like you said yeah well you know we never want to make the same record Mm -hmm. twice in a row you know um obviously it's a it's an interesting balance because you if if you if you make the same record twice Mm -hmm. they accuse you of treading water if you go too far they say you've abandoned your sound so we do want to honor uh what we do best yeah Uh, and it's a more straight ahead uh raw simple i don't want simple is the word but you know not not too much flourishments in the production we're not you know going too crazy and this record is a pretty straight up affair but um in terms of songwriting uh you know we're always sneaking in one or two that that are a little bit different and um and just hoping that our you know I know that there's a lot of folks that are, you know, there's sort of these camps in punk rock. There's the more aggressive, pissed off people that want to, 
just smash shit up. And then there's the kind of more jokey side, you know, I pooped on your mom, then I wrote this song or whatever. (laughs) And and then I've always thought we didn't fit really in either camp. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, Trevor is more like a, it's like the Smiths or something. He's like the Morrissey lyrically of punk rock. And I'm sure everyone's going to yell at me for that. And I don't mean (laughs) to to piss people off, (laughs) but you know, I always thought like, you don't need to hold our band up to other bands or even what your idea of punk rock is or should be. Mm-hmm. To me, it was never about your clothes or your hair. It was about no. approaching something with an ethic of doing it totally. with a sense of honor and truthfulness. And to me, that's punk rock, even if it's a slow song. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything can be punk rock. I mean, it's a it's a pretty wide umbrella after 45 years, you know. Yeah. So. I always figured, give it a listen and just, you know, for the, for people that love face to face, I think you'll really enjoy this record. And if you don't like face to face, you know, maybe this isn't for you and that's okay. Not everything is for everyone. Totally. And and we can, we'll all be okay. If you don't like this one, personally, I'm incredibly proud of it. I think it's one of our catchiest. uh, Yeah. I think it, 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 it touches on a little bit of everything and, and not by accident, you know, Trevor and I, we were sneaking little bits in during the writing process, you know, over a year ago, we were, you know, mm-hmm. sneak a little bit of a melody or a, or a riff. I'd throw something in there that kind of tips the hat at a, mm-hmm. at a song that came before. And so you won't, uh, it, it's not by accident that you might pick up on something here and there, but yeah, this record has, has, um, has a couple moments, but honestly, I think a well-rounded record shouldn't be the same thing from front to back, you know? Yeah. Um, this is definitely a punk rock record in my estimation. Yes, it but, is. you know, what do I know? I'm <laughs> just an old-timer that was listening to it in the 70s. But I can't wait to know. see the, the fans' reaction. It's always fun yeah, to, uh, to read about well, that. Well, I hope, I hope people like it, but if they don't, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Oh, some you know? people, I, I guess you can answer. I don't know. <laughs> if i can ask you but two people told me that it might that it might be your last album that there's a rumor saying it might be your last is it well true? it's funny that it's funny that that's kind of become such I, a, a I, talking point because i researched tre- about it i couldn't find anything so i was like i think it's fake news but you're well, here you know, so i'll ask <laughs> i wouldn't I wouldn't comment on this except for I've heard so many people mention how Trevor's let the cat out of the bag. Uh, we, for years, and maybe it's a self-fulfilling like joke, or I guess it isn't even a joke, but for years we said, let's take this band to 10 records. And that's mm. not counting our two live albums, two covers records, the acoustic record, and all mm-hmm. those little odds and ends or EPs, but full on original punk rock records and i guess we're counting ignorance is bliss uh you know even though some yeah. that was a punk and epic record but but in terms of our legitimate catalog we, we said let's take this thing to 10 records oh i see and and so that was the sort of thing and um you know we're not going to live forever look look at me i'm an uh-huh. old man now so you know we, i thought I, I think about we play i thought about that because when the two people told me that i was like Oh shit! That's gonna happen someday. That our favorite bands uh, in the '90s well, are gonna stop. They're gonna retire it, someday. So I was like, oh, no, we're not ready, but it it will happen." So, well, you know, it's funny. Um, we already did our 
the only goodbye tour. So more than one friend has pointed out that uh, we we are sort of obligated to not ever say goodbye again. But the the reality is that you know nothing lasts forever, and mm-hmm, we we we're not quitting not right now you know we're there's no end date on what we're doing but it isn't likely that we'll do another record yeah Mm -hmm. honestly and and okay and i would i would have skated around this question except i've heard too many people say how trevor's already let the cat out of the bag so yeah yeah. it's your fault trevor wherever you are it's your fault i mean at the same time i think it's healthy to think about that at some point to say well you know i know the 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 song farewell song uh, which is the last song on the record. It's sort of, uh, it's a bit of a goodbye. And mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's not specifically about us, but for anyone that's ever had to say goodbye to something, what, you know, uh, willfully or, or against their will, mm-hmm. like, you know, this is a transitory transient experience, this living business. And, you know, um, we're all making yeah. the best of it that we can and trying to do our best and our best and most honest work and, and ethical behavior. And, and even at this old age I'm at now, I'm always hoping that I'm becoming a better person and a more peaceful and understanding and respectful person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah. but, you know, we're all just passing through. This isn't forever. Nothing about this is forever. Yeah. And, you know, we wanted to make a, a final record that for us had, you know, this was no chump out. You know, we made this record with as much heart, soul, and energy as we've ever done. And, and just like every other record, it, it, it's a mixture of our intentions, our circumstances, and just what happens in life, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it is a, it's a living, breathing, uh, document of of where where we were are and and I'm incredibly proud of it. I, I hope, like I said, people dig it. Um, yeah, and and I do. I look forward to beating up some of these songs live and, oh, and yeah. having that fun. And, yeah. and and if we're playing these songs for a million more years, you know, it's honestly it is so hard to fit new music into our set because oh, you, know, I know. you always have to kick an old song out, and we've got so many records and yeah and so much music that that we don't play and and you know i don't have a problem with it but we lean on the first three records and always will because those are the songs that 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 are what people want to hear the most when they come mm-hmm. see us live and, and honestly i love playing them this isn't a case of me being sick of it ever i i still get goosebumps every time we play disconnected Yay. i just i feel this music and and i love it and and I'm proud of it. And um, so, so it is what it is. So, you, you might you know, be still, you, you might be. If you be... don't like this record, <laughs> come back to it in another year. Don't give it 20 years. No, you know? but it, you will still tour after yeah, oh, this yeah, one. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, so it's not, well, that's it's not just the it. end. This, this isn't the band is breaking up. No, this no, is no, just, no, no. we're saying this is our last record yeah. in all likelihood. Good, Good. So. Yeah, but every band feels this way when they're done with a record. It's just that for years we did set 10 as this sort of arbitrary limit. Who knows what was honestly just between us. Yeah. I was going to jokingly demo up another album and just send it to (laughs) Trevor and see what he did. (laughs) Do it. Send it to me first. I have some quick questions before we go because time flies. So interesting. But 
Yeah. By the way, I'm sorry. I'm a total talker. I didn't mean to just oh, barrel through this. No, it's your, I mean, the episode is about you. So I'm happy. I prefer that than no. people who answer yes and no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Sometimes. You won't get that out of me. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's great. Um, so some people want to know if you play, you still play music with your brother, Chris. Um, you have, you still have a band with him, Viva Debt, which is super great with Trevor too. So uh, what's going on with this band? Okay. The thing about Viva Death was Viva Death started as a project, like a side project that Trevor and I, we were on tour, this is over 20 years ago, and we bought matching baritone guitars. And really, you know, we would just play our face-to-face -face gig mm -hmm. and go into the back of the bus and bust these things out and just play all this other stuff. And it was like a new toy that made all those old <laughs> chords sound new again. Mm -hmm. And we had like a week break between tours I went home and I demoed up about 13 or 14 ideas and I came back out and I gave Trevor a CD, once again, CD, and he heard it. And we just, you know, at first we were jokingly calling it the baritones because we were playing baritone guitars, like some doo-wop band, you know, yeah. the baritones. And our manager at the time, who was a uh, part owner of a record label, he made the mistake of saying, I'll finance a record. We never even intended to make a record. We were just having fun. And so suddenly I realized, all right, well, this is serious business. Um, let's throw it together. And so I hit up my brother, Chris. He was on board. At first I asked him nice. if one of the Foo Fighters, you know, he's got two great drummers. If one of them would be into it, I thought half face to face, half Foo Fighters, two mm -hmm. FF bands. <laughs> but and, and he said maybe Taylor would be into it. But as the date to record was looming, that was clearly not going to happen. So I just called on an old friend, Josh Freeze, who's obviously one of the monster drummers of all time. He's a Vandals play, uh, drummer. Too. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. So he was in and we uh, we banged that record out. It was a bit saucy and a bit over the top. We loved doing it. I know we yeah. were sort of hamming it up and pouring it on I a love bit, the arrangements. Was, It's special. Yeah, it was, There's a it was really sonic sound, yeah. Well, Well, you know, we after after everyone got so pissed about ignorance is bliss, we thought, you Aww. know, let's just do our weirdo rock on the side and keep face to face a little bit more grounded and mm -hmm. um, and oh, not so sonically adventurous. That's interesting. But, well, I was going to say after the first Viva Death record, you know, no one cared and that's fine. And I wasn't expecting people to jump through hoops over it. But uh, then one day Trevor goes, hey, let's make a second one. So we assembled the same band the second one and uh but eventually you know it was clear like it was just kind of like becoming my my thing so the mm -hmm. third record i just went ahead and did it all myself i played all the instruments drums guitar everything trevor was helpful in the studio he was there for you know cutting guitar tracks just helping mm -hmm. me dial in sounds because we're we're still pals you know even with each other's projects uh and, and then by the time it got to the fourth record i was just you know it was just me and chad blinman doing doing all that So really, it was never a live band. It was never a full-on band. It was just a project. Mm -hmm. And now as for Chris, I I did some moonlighting playing in his side project, uh, Jackson United. I, I wound up playing bass and doing a bit of touring for both those records. But it was uh, it was his band. He wrote all the songs. And I'm just being the, the dutiful brother and providing the support and, and performances uh, that he that he wants and yeah, needs. Yeah, yeah. you know he he gave me all that stuff pretty much fully written 
And then I'd oh. work a baseline out. And if I went a little too far, I'd say, all right, hey, hey, big shot, calm it down there a bit. This isn't face-to-face. <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> so I, you know, we we had a lot of fun with that, but he eventually sort of segued more into his, you know, acoustic and Americana rock. And mm-hmm. and um, you know, I haven't we haven't done anything like that, but I thought you were actually talking about we have a well had a family band called the Norbeckers. Oh. Named after the beer in the Loretta Swit movie Beer, I think it's called. And it's me, my younger brother Chris, my older brother Mike, oh, wow. and my stepbrother Steve. Now I've got cassette recordings of this stuff, but Chris has uh sworn me to secrecy. He says, Don't you ever play that stuff for people? He's like, I've got dirt on you too. So I wanna play I, a I song. can't play any of it. I wanna yeah, I know no one No, okay. No, no one will ever hear it. It's just uh, you know, it was like the kind of thing we would do at, over Thanksgiving. We would just bring some musical yeah. instruments and roll tape and do some <laughs> stuff. So yeah, cool. Um, yeah. okay, quick, quick, quick. Uh, um, oh yeah. So you used to? Do you still sub for? Uh, no, you you play in Mifers and the Gimme Gimmes to sub your brother. I did uh, for a lot of years. Yeah, uh, for, for a long time. 17 years, something. You know, That's it was one fun. of those things like, um, I think it was maybe Brian Baker was playing with them at mm-hmm. the time, but there was a conflict between him and a Bad Religion tour. So mm-hmm. they needed somebody. <clears throat> and Chris asked me to do it. And it was just a two week tour and I was free. So I did it. And it wound up just being something I stuck around for, you know. Mm-hmm. I think oddly enough, because Chris and I kind of, we look a little the same from a thousand yards. People didn't even realize it wasn't him for a while. And so <laughs> I, I think it worked out for everybody. Because you look alike. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, um, I, uh, I did a lot of playing with them. Uh, May in the future, who knows? They, they have some tours coming up I'm not on. Yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. But, but uh, I love everyone in the band and wish them all well. Yeah, great. Uh, someone wants to know how people were reacting when your brother got into uh, Foo Fighters. Did you hear some like shitty comments about that? Uh, how did well, you feel about this? Yeah, it... I did. Uh, some people I could have said like, oh, not, no. he's leaving the scene. Listen, mm. Yeah, you know, people are always, they're so provincial and kind of possessive over what they consider their turf. Yeah, um, <laughs> true. Uh And it's one of those things, it's like, I remember once taking the stage at a face-to-face show and out of the crowd, you know, I heard someone yell, your brother's a sellout. And obviously God. they're yelling at me. And I just remember thinking, you have no idea how much I disagree with you. Because for as much as um, as as I loved Tony Sly and I yeah. loved seeing Chris play with mm-hmm. No Use for a Name, my little brother has a real varied history with rock and roll. And I thought um, this would be a, a great opportunity for him to stretch his wings and play a bit more guitar. You know? yeah. and he, he wasn't the writer in No Use for a Name. So they were going to be fine. Uh, and, and obviously, he, you know, he's not the, the, write, the, mm-hmm. the songwriter in, in uh, the Foos or anything, but it gives, it gives him a chance. It gave him a chance to mm-hmm. uh, stretch his wings as a musician a bit for, for my taste, you know, and. And, uh, and I just, I want to see bottom line. I just want to see good things for my brother. It, it, at the end of the day, rock and roll, punk rock, call it any name you want. It's all cool. It's all fun. Same it's family. It's all great. Yeah. It's heartfelt, but 
but this is my brother. You know, we, the memories we have coming up, you know, I remember him as a baby with milk dried on his yeah. face and stuff. So um, I will always be uh, an admirer and a champion of what he does. Mm. And, um, and I'm in his corner no matter what. Yeah. And oddly enough, you know, the weekend that he that he landed that gig, we were having trouble with our guitarist, Chad Yarrow, back then. And I called up Chris to see if he wanted to f- sub a face to face gig. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, um, I'd love to, except for I'm, I'm about to drive down to L.A. Uh, I'm, I'm trying out the uh, uh, for the Foo Fighters. And then the next Whoa. day he told me he got the gig which I was nothing but happy and proud of for him, but it still left me with a problem. I had to figure out what to do with Chad. (laughs) I think, I think we wound up bribing him to stay. Very practical problem. Yeah. 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 So, you know what? Um, It all worked out because Dave Nazzy is a, is a killer guitarist Mm -hmm. and he, he took the role fantastically. And, and oddly enough, you know, back in 06, I did about a month, of lead guitar duty and no use for a name. So I'm in that band playing with Matt Riddle. Yeah. Playing that's Chris's true. parts, playing, playing Dave Nazzy's parts and having a great time with Tony and, and Matt and, and Rory. And, and wow. that was a ton of fun. And I even got to uh, help uh, honor Tony at the, uh, at a no use and friends show at Graz rock a few years after he passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that time I played the Tony guitar parts cause wow. Nazzy was there. Uh, and a bunch of guest vocalists came up and sang. So, um, you know, I, I filled in on bass with the offspring. I filled in on guitar yeah. with no use and, and uh, you know, the gimmies and stuff like that. I'm obviously not the super pinch hitter guy, but, you know, if you've got a tour coming up, call your pal Shifty. Yeah. <laughs> I'll learn all your stuff. Yeah. I think it's an incredible music life you had, you have and had in the past you tried many things experiment many things you got a lot of there's just well you know everyone i know for instance is has goes out and does like solo singer acoustic songwriters trevor's doing it currently my little brother does it Mm -hmm. joey cape does it these are all my friends and people i've come up with and you know i've had so many songs i've written over the years that i write to this day that that fit That they aren't punk rock songs played mm-hmm. on acoustic guitar, but they're more, you know, sort of like Elliot Smith meets John Lennon or something. Oh. All original stuff, not face-to-face music at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been sort of like putting a, together a set, saying, "Could I do this?" You know, it's I've, I've always been shy about about being so vulnerable. I've always sort of hid within a group or behind volume, and I thought. Well, you know, back to what you're saying, like, mm-hmm. what are the vistas out there? And, you know, I, I'd like to maybe uh, throw myself into a vulnerable and terrifying predicament. So I'm actually messing around on the acoustic guitar right now, oh. seeing about, you know, could I put a set together? Could I go play a gig? Yes, it's, do it. it. Seems, yeah, terrifying, but, uh, you know, invigorating too. Yeah. Like I watched Joey when he first started, it, he... He couldn't even get through a song. He was like, had all his lyrics spread out. He was on his knees. You know, I was like, oh my God. But his fans were so supportive of him. I thought, my God, that's that's the way you got to be. You know, wow. they, they really helped him but, through 
is yeah. getting his sea legs as a solo acoustic artist. It's like, oh, yeah. I hope they're that nice to me if I try. It's this. hard. Two yeah. years ago, I opened. I had a band uh, at the mo at this moment. I opened for Jerry Cape. I I I was playing acoustic guitar. I was with a friend who was playing piano. I was playing guitar for like two years. Not even. I'm not a good guitarist. And I was like, oh, I opened for for Joey. Oh my god, I want. I, I was about to puke, but then. <laughs> like but it's still it's just music it's our and we were playing covers but it's still right, like right. it's our soul it's like it's everyone was happy so we i think we put oh. a lot of pressure while we play acoustic but i totally understand the vulnerability you're talking about well it's, it's always crazy. more terrifying in the moment than yeah. when you look back on it totally. and you know i've said for years you don't need to be an amazing musician i call them campfire chords you've got your g d yeah. a, a e f c e m everyone can play them and you can write a billion songs totally. you can use a capo move it up and down the neck so much fun and mm -hmm. you know the idea of being able to just play simple structured chords but sing and play it's mm -hmm. it's wonderful it's beautiful so I, you have a lot more uh, guts than me, no matter how many people I've played in front of. Oh, you know, I've still, I've still not hard. done that. So it's hard, but you kudos. should. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, acoustic, uh, I really love the Hold Fast album. How was Thank the you. adaptation? Uh, because did you start writing those songs acoustically, like you said, uh, or no, no, no. you just transpose it, not transpose, but uh, adapted it? How was right, this? Right, right, right. No, because I'm a huge fan of acoustic. Things... Yeah. You know, we uh, when we write for face to face, we write for the electric version. Yeah. So there's it's not like we're doing this stuff in mm -hmm. folky form and then turning it into face to face. What it was was you know, you know, a few years back, Trevor and I we did a, a two acoustic guitar uh, performance of the Ignorance Is Bliss record, which that was his idea. Idea. I thought he was crazy, and I and yet we pulled it off. I think we did a great job. Yeah. But um, we started doing. Oh, I remember what it was. We were doing these sort of like for meet and greets. We wanted to do oh. something a little extra, which was play acoustically for the meet and greet people. So it wasn't just show up, mm -hmm. shake hands, take a picture. You know, they get they should get something special yes, out of this. So we started fun. doing these acoustic performances and we we, mm -hmm. we actually went into a studio on a day off on tour and just sort of cut uh, the tracks sort of as we had been playing them and really liked how they sounded and our our manager at the time heard it and got a wild idea said hey let's cut an acoustic record and and it really wasn't our idea mm -hmm. it wasn't even part of our game plan at the time Trevor and I thought we're getting time to work on the next electric record and And it was interesting because um, Mike, uh, the, our manager then, he, he had interesting ideas. Like I thought maybe we would just go in and cut, recut, but more professionally what we had already done on our demo. Yeah. But that wasn't his idea at all. He, you know, because there was, it was only percussion and acoustic guitars. There was no bass or anything when we mm -hmm. were doing these in stores, I was on acoustic guitar, mm. but uh So I figured we would just go into the studio and cut it like we had, and then I might add bass or something. Oh, yeah. But Mike, Mike wanted us to cut it 
with me on bass from the beginning oh. and Danny on drums. Now, we had never rehearsed or pre-planned oh, really? any of this stuff. But the idea was like, what other kind of approaches could we do? So we literally uh, would sit around in a circle and discuss like, what could we do with this? Give it a little bit of a bouncy feel, or maybe this one could be a lot slower. Mm -hmm. So um, Mike had a lot of ideas, you know, and, and we all did. I know Dennis and Trevor never empty of what to experiment <laughs> with, you know? Yeah. And, and so it was interesting because we literally would agree to something, go right out in the room and play it. So I never rehearsed mm -hmm. any of that stuff. That was pretty much just all like in nice. the moment. So once again, that, that record, you know, some people might listen to it and think, oh, it's so produced or it's so fake or something, but it isn't. That was oh. literally like in the moment. We are just, I'm just I love wing dinging it while the tape is rolling. And then I added some uh, acoustic guitar on top to maybe add some flavor and stuff. Uh, but, uh, but that was like, it was a real interesting thing. And I think because it's not that we weren't taking it seriously, but mm -hmm. we, we were pretty relaxed and kind of just going with the flow and yeah. just having fun with it. That I, I think it came out fantastic. Uh, I, I think it showed a, a whole new light to these songs that even some of those early ones, they're not just, no, not to say just no no, you know, no i know punk rock punk rock punk rock <laughs> yeah yeah but that the core now here's the interesting thing now i'm a wild man when it comes to creative ideas trevor is is more like he's the straight guy to my crazy guy and uh and it's important and it should be that yeah. the songs always have structure and mm -hmm. be and come from a sort of a a place of songwriter Mm -hmm. singer songwriter like it's got to fit a songwriter's thing so trevor's always quick to make sure that i'm not going off on some superfluous tangent you uh, know and yeah and i think you know when we made that record it really did sort of also expose that the songs are are great songs mm -hmm. they're great uh well not to pat my back because half of them were written before i was even in the band but you know trevor trevor's sense of songwriting and his sense of melody it holds up even in a different format. It's not just volume mm -hmm. and or dissonance. It's uh, there's 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 a core to what what's going on with that guy's brain and, yeah. and you know the way we both think together. So yeah, yeah, I feel lucky. That was a fun one. I feel lucky I could have seen a show, a live show of the acoustic set. It was amazing. Well, you know, we did a few. We we went out on like maybe God, I don't even remember how many, but we we did a few different legs of the acoustic uh, yeah. tour. And it was fun. I was playing finger style yeah. and sitting down on a stool. Yeah. <laughs> it was really different. And like and, the uh, next, but a lot of fun. Yeah, and the next two I days was kinda, it was full band set. It was great. Yeah, three yeah, three amazing yeah. days with authority zero, cigar, ten foot pole. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was fun. I was sort of hoping that it might lead to doing more of that stuff. And I don't know, maybe the demand just wasn't there. Maybe people are just too married to the idea that we're about volume and speed, which yeah. quite frankly I love. So mm -hmm. um, either way, I'm, I'm, I'm always having a, a great time when we get together and do the face to face. Yeah. So, yeah. I have a last question for you. And I love to okay. ask this to a lot of my guests because um, I, I, I wanted to know if you have other hobbies or, or strong passion beside of music. Are you like into something else? Like, um, you know, the funny part is like when I put down my 
instruments mm-hmm. from playing professionally. I pick up instruments and play <laughs> just because I, I love to. Wow. Uh, I've actually put most of my guitars away, but oh. Yeah. Oh, you can nice. tell I'm never far away from a guitar oh. or a bass. It's 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 one of those things like um I know it sounds stupid. I'm I don't collect no, Renaissance not- art. I don't skateboard anymore, you know, I'd probably <laughs> break every bone in my body. I <laughs> I don't I don't surf, I don't ski, I just play guitar and you know, write That's- lyrics, write songs. It's funny, I I do this for face to face. I do it for myself. I've mm-hmm. always got some creative I, I you know ideas going. I just don't I traditionally haven't put all that stuff out there for people. I you know, I just figured most people know you as this thing. It's okay. Just go out and do the thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh I think maybe this year will be the year I I try to take a, a little bit of this extra stuff out. Maybe book a book some shows. Just, you know, yeah, it's wanting it. to share more parts of who you are. I don't expect to go to the moon and back with it. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of low key stuff, but it, I think sure. people. Oh, it's one of those things. Like I always said, I, I I know I'm not an amazing vocalist, but nobody else can sing your songs for you. You know, sooner or later, you have to yeah. just do it. Whether you know, and punk rock says that I don't even have to be a, a good singer. I just need to do it. Totally. Yeah, it took me a while to understand that. I just started a new yeah. band. I'm 37 years old and I just started a new yeah. band where I can finally write. So it's never too late. You want to well, do something, you, know, you need to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. creative people have to have to be creative. And, you know, even if no one's listening, it, it's, you know, uh, you know it's we like, need to be expressive. Yeah, so, you yeah. love the music for what it is. Not, right, yeah. right. That's so amazing. anyway, I'd like to say one last shameless plug. Yeah, uh, the no, new album please. is Face to Face, No Way Out But Through. Yeah. It's going to be out on Fat Records on, I think, September 10th. So it's coming up. Um, there's a couple tracks already. We wanted to premiere a couple different ends of the spectrum. So we mm-hmm. we uh, we released uh, the, the title track, No Way Out But yes. Through, which is a bit more of a high-octane song. And then we wanted to put uh, one of the more outside tracks, which is Farewell Song. It's a mm-hmm. bit more melancholy. It's honestly, it's my favorite face-to-face song of all time. It bumped Lost. Super And good. you can tell I've got a little bit of a melancholy streak. So Lost, I, I, that's always been a favorite one of mine. That's a yeah. Trevor song. So, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I can't wait. And I, I, I can say that it's super good. I listen to it. People are going to be happy. And I hope so. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. It was an amazing time. A great chat. We well, could have chat for like thank you. Uh, still hours. Wow, that was a great moment in my life. And if you want, you can join our Patreon page if you want to watch the whole Zoom interview video. That's it for today, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to this interview. And I promise next week I'm going to catch up on recommendations. But if you want, you can check my Instagram because I love to post about vinyl recommendations there. I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Epic Merch Store, to Scott Holquist from 10 Football for the edit, and to you, my dear punk rockers. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, share, and rate it five stars on iTunes. You can also subscribe.
subscribe to our Patreon page, just check the show notes if you want the information. On the next episode, I have an amazing guest. It's Kurt Volsti. He's an author and illustrator working on some amazing children's books and he wrote some about Tony Sly. And he has great collaboration with Punk Rock Saves Lives too. Don't miss this. Until then, punk your life and see you next week.